Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Janet McMorty, and I was and still very much am a doctor who decided to simultaneously pursue acting during a global pandemic. Why not? (laughs) This is episode number six, and I am so excited for today's episode because I have on my very first fellow doctor actor. Dr. Francesca Decker is my guest this week. She is a public health physician family doctor who moved all the way to LA to pursue a career in acting. She's a phenomenal speaker, an incredible writer, and very, very talented actress. She puts a label on something that I've been struggling with a lot during my acting career, and I know a lot of other people can relate. We doctors love to put labels on things, right? We love to diagnose. And it actually feels kind of good to have a label, to have a diagnosis, to say, yes, this is what is impairing my ability as an actor. So I'm not going to tell you what the diagnosis is because you're going to have to watch this episode. Ha! But the big thing that I find, and I know people can relate to this, right? You feel the emotions deep within you, the emotions that you're supposed to be putting on the stage, on the screen, fear, sadness, loss, anger, stress, happiness. They're there. They're bubbling up inside, but they're not coming through on your face. I'm so excited for you to watch this episode or listen to this episode because she gets into it and it has really, really impacted me as a doctor, as an actor, and as a human. Please enjoy Dr. Francesca Decker. never met. Right. Uh, but I heard your podcast on the Audrey Helps Actors podcast right at that beginning of the pandemic. And I, awesome. oh, it was so awesome. <laughs> well, the podcast was awesome. Being the pandemic oh, well, was garbage, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought when I was making a list of who I would ideally love to have on this to chat with, I was like, oh, yes, Francesca, she had that amazing, Aww. that episode was, was so Great. I think you brought a lot of calmness and stillness oh, to, I think, what was a very chaotic time with a group of very chaotic entertainment in- industry individuals. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It was, I was so excited because I love Audrey's podcast. So I saw her, you know, posting on Instagram about COVID and she was sharing a lot of resources for actors to make money, but she wasn't sharing much about the actual information for COVID. And I was like, I'm just going to put a message and she'll probably ignore it and whatever. But I posted a message and I was like, hey, I'm a doctor and an actor and I'd be happy to talk to you about what's going on. And she replied and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, Audrey, Audrey replied to my message. (laughs) I was so excited. I was so nervous for that interview. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I have I was only able to listen to it once, and like I kind of had to cringe throughout it. But um, I, yeah, I'm I haven't been able. I don't think I'll ever listen to it a second time. But I I do feel like there were a few things I said because I know she was like, so we'll be back in like a month or so, right? And I was like, uh, <laughs> about that. So hopefully, a couple pieces that you know stood the time the test of time reasonably well. But yeah, I think the biggest thing that I noticed, I listened to it this morning, parts of it this morning, oh, wow. <laughs> the, uh, the best part, well, I, I think that was the second or third time I'd listened to it. But the parts I really liked were like, you just ex- you explained science so well. And there was one part where you're like, Oh, I'm sorry, I should probably dumb it down. And Audrey's like, No, keep your science brain. <laughs> Yeah, she was amazing. I was, I yeah, I had another conversation with her afterwards, and I'll probably have another one as I actually start going back to acting, which we'll talk about. But um, Ooh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could go. We could go on and on about Audrey, yes. but tell me about yourself. You have had a fantastic career, not just in medicine, but in acting. Start from the beginning. So I'm a family doctor. I got into medical school and I knew that I wanted to do something in addition to medicine. So I actually got into a public health program first and I did like a dual degree MD, MPH and public health was always something I was really passionate about. And even throughout medical school, I kept saying to my now husband, I don't know if I'm actually going to practice medicine. Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. We'll see. 
And then I found family medicine and I loved that it was, you know, you can do a little bit of everything, not necessarily all at the same time, but like, you know, wherever your interests take you as a family doc, you can probably find a place to do it. And also from a, you know, an advocacy standpoint, family docs tended to be very community oriented and, you know, cause we're looking at the family and, and the setting that the family is in. And so they tended to be a lot more involved and engaged, which was really appealing to me. So I went to residency at University of Rochester and I did their political advocacy and leadership track and I did their global health track and I was a chief resident and I did a little bit of research and I, in my chief year and the year before, I I also have always loved to write. And so uh, one of my mentors in Rochester did a lot of narrative medicine. And my co-chief also was really into narrative medicine. And so we ended up doing some like, it's not quite spoken word, but like we wrote stuff and then we read it and semi-performed it in front of an audience. And of course, I loved it. (laughs) And I, I also loved to teach. And as a chief resident, I got to do a lot of that. And I really studied teaching with my main advisor as a chief and like the ways to teach so that people actually learn. And of course, I've always loved teaching and, and been sort of critical of teachers because I, I have always loved to perform. And so when you have a teacher who's up there just droning on and not actually engaging, I just was always very frustrated by that. But throughout medical school, my third year of medical school and residency, my mom got very sick. And I also had three grandparents die all within like six months of each other. And then my mom got sick right after that. And after about a year or so, she was diagnosed with multiple system atrophy, which is this chronic neurodegenerative disease. It's brutal. (laughs) And, you know, in my chief year, which was a fourth year for me, which was nice because I've always been someone who wanted to do everything and so sometimes had difficulty making decisions about what to do. So the fourth year was nice to give me a little extra time. I talked to my stepfather and I said, you know, Jared, he's my husband, you know, we want, we want to move close to you when you feel like the time is right so we can help. And he said, well, if you don't do it now, I don't think you're going to be able to. And so we moved in. We did take a really great trip first because I knew that moving back in with my mom and my stepdad was <laughs> going to be intense. And I, I, you know, after four years of residency and four years of medical school, like needed a little bit of break. So we, we took a really great trip, but then we moved in with them for six months. And during that time, I started a blog, which was something I'd always thought about doing. And it's called A Human Doctor. And it was about taking care of my mom as a physician. And I named it A Human Doctor because I felt like as a doctor, a lot of the time, I was expected to be sort of like a robot, you know, and as a family doctor, I was expected and I enjoyed, you know, talking to people about these really intense things that they'd experienced and doing mental health care. But then, you know, whatever intense, painful things were going on in my life had to just kind of be shoved down. <laughs> and if a patient was sobbing or screaming at me, you know, I had to just kind of keep my cool. And, you know, I couldn't respond in, a, in an em- There's a point, right? Like, you need to be empathetic. You need to be present. But, like, for the most part, I'm not going to be hugging my patients. And if a patient's screaming at me, I'm not going to scream back at them. <laughs> You know, so I called it a human doctor because I felt like I had I had sort of lost touch with some of my lost touch with some of my humanity. And, you know, taking care of my mom was really confronting me with it pretty intensely. So at that point, she was pretty close to bedridden. Um, She was in a wheelchair. She needed help with all of her, you know, her ADLs, all of her cleaning and eating and all that kind of stuff. And we lived on the property, but not in their house. But I took care of her basically like 40 to 60 hours a week during the day. And then at night, my stepdad would take care of her. We moved in with them in September of 20, I have to think 2015. And she died March 11th of 2016. And it was shocking to me. I mean, it just went so much faster than I expected. And when she died, I was pretty gobsmacked, even though like I knew it was coming. I'm a doctor, like I've done end of life care. I like end of life care. I knew all these things were happening, but Mm -hmm. I still was shocked. And um, she was 59 when she died, you know, she was young and she, I'm an only child. Like she was my person, you know, Mm -hmm. and so losing her was really hard. And, um, 
for that first month after she died, I was kind of just floating, <laughs> just trying to survive. I, I did a bunch of gardening because I felt like something with my hands where I could rip things out and throw things <laughs> was good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I took a trip to Florida with my cousins because one of them was in a swim meet down there. And on the way down, I stopped at the airport and I bought a book called The One Thing. As I said, I've always been someone who's done a million things. And so I was like, this is interesting. Let's see what they have to say. <laughs> What's the benefit of doing just one thing? And I really liked the way that they talked about the power of focus and persistence. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this, the concept of the 10,000 hours and all that. And I'd started learning about some of that as a chief. And I really, as a chief resident, just started to come to terms with the possibility of failure and, and realized that, like, I, I, I was somebody who had been very fortunate and not had a ton of failure growing up, mm-hmm. which is actually not a good thing. Because then when I got to like college and med school and residency, if I failed, I just was like, oh, I guess that means I shouldn't do this thing. And in medicine, right, like failure is unacceptable. (laughs) So, um, and so it was a new concept to me that like actually lots of successful, whether they're entrepreneurs or artists or clinicians, right, have had to fail in order to succeed. And so I read that book and they sort of had this question of like, what is the one thing that you could do that would make everything else either easier or unnecessary? And also, that's like the daily question, but also like, what is, what is the one thing that you can do that, I don't remember the exact question, but it was like for your life, you know, the one thing that you can do that only you can do that would make everything else easier. And initially, I started thinking about writing, but then I, I kind of came to acting. And I was like, you know, if I could make it at some level as an actor. I'm not saying I've come to terms with the fact I'm not going to be Jennifer Lawrence at this point, but like (laughs) if I can make it to, you know, even a moderate level as an actor, you've got an audience that's paying attention to you. And when you're sharing information about, for example, public health issues, uh, you have an audience, right? That, that you're reaching that's outside of what you would normally get if you're just a doctor or a public health advisor, right? And I, I felt like, well, this could give me a different platform. It's something I'd always love to do and frankly kind of just got too scared to actually try it. And my mom um, had been a – she had studied human genetics and animal genetics and was – doing her master's degree, was a computer whiz, and she was a brilliant like science and mathematical mind. And she ended up leaving all of that to pursue her passion, which was to breed, train, and show Morgan horses. And so <laughs> there was definitely this part of me that was like, oh, I need to follow in my mother's footsteps, you know? And I also, I was reading a lot of her, she didn't write a lot of journals, but I read some of them and I I realized she was really hard on herself in a way that as her daughter, I was really sad to read, but also was very striking because the way that she wrote about herself was so similar to the way that I have written about myself. And I was like, she would not want me to carry this. And, you know, she'd want me to go for something that I'd be excited to, to do and to take that chance, she'd have been completely supportive of it. I mean, my, even throughout medicine, she'd be like, oh, Anne Hathaway gave a speech, you know, and I just, I thought about you up there. Like, <laughs> she was always just kind of still, like, talking about it. So, of course, this was a totally naive thought process about the pursuit of acting, but, like, that's where you start sometimes, right, with a dream. So I... I started out with an acting class, which I had actually signed up for before my mom died and then was like, well, I can't do this. And I I went back to it. It was a Meisner Technique program. And it just blew my mind. I mean, within, and I was grieving pretty heavily at that time. And, you know, within the like third class, they had us do an exercise where you're, you know, sitting with a partner and you're just, you're just noticing, right? And I don't even think it was necessarily, maybe we were starting to get into emotion. Have you, have you done much with Meisner? 
I've read the book, but I've never okay. taken any classes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the first part was you just sit and like say the same thing back and forth, back and forth. Right. And then the next step is you, you say things like your shirt is blue, your shirt is blue until you're pinched, right. To notice something else, but you're still keeping it objective. And then I think the next stage after that is starting to try to notice body language and emotion and stuff like that. And I just, I think, <laughs> I think my partner made some comment about, you know, your shirt is blue or something. And, and I just was like, kind of paralyzed. And my teacher was like, what's going on? What's going on? And I was like, I don't, uh, whew. and I was like, I feel you're making me so sad. <laughs> and I just started crying. And my partner was so just there with me. She just, you know, she, I don't even think she did much because she wasn't really supposed to be physically interacting with me, but just like eye contact, focus, you're sad. Oh, this is a space where I can have feelings and it's okay. And, and not only is it okay, but like with time, A, I can have all sorts of really messy feelings and this person isn't going to abandon me. <laughs> They're not going to run away. They're not going to tell me that I'm messed up for having these feelings. And also afterwards, it's going to be a celebration that like, oh, you had these feelings on stage and they were authentic and you connected with another person and it was amazing and powerful to witness. Once I started getting that experience, it was I, I, I told my teacher, I wrote a, actually I wrote a post about it on my blog, but like, I felt like there were moments where being in that class felt more real than anything else that was happening in my life. Because it was just like, honest connection, no bullshit. <laughs> One thing that I learned during my first semester with this program was that I smile a lot when I am angry, nervous, worried. <laughs> And my teacher kept being like, Francesca, you're smiling. Francesca, you're smiling. Francesca, you're smiling. And I would get so angry about it. But it was like, of course I'm smiling. As a doctor, I have to maintain my calm at all times. And also as a daughter, I, I sort of had to do that. That was how I found it. And I fell in love with it. I started doing plays. And by the end of 2016, I said to my husband, I was like, I really want to move to Los Angeles and I want to, I want to do this. And he had seen me focused in a way that I have, and I'm going to say this as a doctor, which is not good, but I have never been as focused as I was at that time. And so we talked about it and, you know, it took a lot of discussion, but eventually he was like, okay, you know, let's do it. And so 2017, I finished that Meisner program as a five semester program. I did 10 plays in one year, including putting together like a two women show with a friend of mine. And we like picked out all the sketches and, you know, all the, all the, they were short um, scenes and we did our own costumes and everything. And, and then I also did a bunch of student films. I wrote a short uh, scene for my showcase and uh, yeah. And so we moved to LA in January of 2018. Wow. That is <laughs> the coolest, most heart-wrenching, lovely story. The whole time I was like, oh my God, one, selfishly, we have so much in common. Two, <laughs> I, and I, so much of what you said, I think just connects so many people who've done exactly what you've done. Maybe not like purely like medical school to acting like both you and I have done but just changing from one career to another. Mm -hmm. I've, I have so much to say. I think the biggest thing that I got from just what you said, but also from reading your blog was the idea of emotional restraint and how tricky that is and how that actually benefits you as a doctor, mm -hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> impairs you as an actor. And because you have to, like, exactly what you're saying, in front of patients, you have to put on a face, a persona, an act, haha. But in front of an audience, you have totally. to completely knock everything like that down. And that's mm -hmm. been the hardest thing for me as well, yeah. 
to be like, I am sad. Let me show you sad, as opposed to I'm sad. I'm sad. Yes. I'm sad. I'm sad. Let me tell you about your blood pressure medication. Oh God! Right? Let me tell it's you so how sad hard. I am. Right? Yeah. It's so hard to be like, oh, yeah. I can feel sadness, think sadness, but also show sadness. Right. Game changer. It is. Yeah. And I actually had my therapist at the time that I was seeing recommend, because I, you may share this, but like for me, crying on cue is difficult. It's, it's not a thing that I can do easily. And I've worked really hard on it and I've been able to do it like five or six times, which has been so exciting when it's happened. <laughs> and it's exciting for me to join you. It it's is. exciting that you're crying. This is amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've cried a ton, but it's usually not been because I wanted to, right? Like, it's like I'm in a scene and my teacher keeps pushing and pushing, and finally, like, I'm able to have the meltdown and do the scene. But, like, to get there on my own is, has been challenging. And one of the things my therapist recommended I do in those first months after. Actually, I don't think it was right away. I think it was probably a few months after my mom died when I was starting to do more acting. And I was like, this is a block that I have and I want to work on it. She was like, give yourself every day 10 or 15 minutes to feel your grief. Play some music, look at pictures, sit with the, sit with your grief for those 10 or 15 minutes and just allow it to be whatever it is. Don't try to force it, but just give yourself that space. And I actually felt like, as an actor, it was really helpful, but also just as a human being to be like, okay, there's this really intense, scary thing that I feel. And if I don't make space for it, it's going to come out whenever it wants to. Mm. <laughs> Whereas if I allow myself that time to have it, I have it. And I, I, I give it the space it needs. And it still might come out sometimes when I don't want to, but it's not as overwhelming when it does because I've already, I've already looked at it. Like, I know it's there. It's not, as, mm. it's not a shock when it comes out. Interesting. Yeah. Is there a guilt associated with it? Like with feeling grief? that sad? Yeah, because mm. my mm. gut when you were saying that was... So just as an aside, my mom passed away when, she, when I was in my first year of residency. Oh, um, wow. So I was like, let's talk about more things we have in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the, I, I definitely feel, I don't know if, again, I have difficulty labeling my emotions myself personally. I can label them perfectly for patients. Let me tell you what you are. But for me, and so I don't know if what I'm, I'm labeling right now is guilt, but like that feeling of, I can't express this. Mm-hmm. I'm strong. I am mm-hmm. confident. I, I excel at everything. I've never failed exactly what you were saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe it's not a guilt or maybe it is like a shame of feeling that. I think shame is, is part of it. Shame? Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I will say I think some of it too is like I mean, we don't need to get too psychoanalytical about things, but like, <laughs> you know, I look back at what feedback I got about emotions as a child and like mm. it was not okay for me to be angry, you know? Mm. Maybe it was kind of okay for me to be sad, but I don't think it was a thing I was I did very much and that can't have been because I wasn't sad, right? <laughs> so like yes. I think, you know, I'm an only child. I was an only grandchild. I was I am such a perfectionist. I was voted class perfectionist, right? <laughs> like to be that to be that perfect person, you can't have these messy emotions. So, absolutely, I think shame is a huge part of it. And and also yeah. fear of like if I actually have those feelings, what happens? Do they stop? You know, do they, do they just totally overwhelm me? Does it ruin my day? Does it ruin my week? If I open up this box of something that's painful, I had a teacher in LA. I was so fortunate. I studied with some really amazing schools in LA and that's one huge perk of being a doctor. And I wasn't practicing while I was there, but my husband's a doctor. (laughs) So between the two of us, you know, we had enough money that like I could afford to take classes at some of the best places. Yeah. I was at Margie Haber with Diane Charles, who does like the intermediate level courses there. And she, you know, we talked a lot. It was a great class. It was like a really vulnerable, so nice. It's like so much of acting is like, let's talk about our feelings. And like, why are we vulnerable? Why aren't we vulnerable? And like, let's just break down in front of each other. It was like, 
And they always say, like, if you need therapy, get therapy. But, like, let's be honest. There is something very therapeutic about being able to do that in front of other people and, like, have it be okay. But she talked a lot about when we needed to have those scary feelings in a scene, she was like, picture that little inner child. She's also a therapist. Um, (laughs) She was like, picture your inner child who is the one that's scared of doing this thing, right? And, like, take a moment where you take your child's hand And you're like, okay, this is going to be like a roller coaster. We're going to go down these stairs into this kind of scary place, but we're doing it because actually it kind of feels good, even though it's scary. Mm. And then we're going to come back out the steps afterward and we're going to, it's going to be okay. Like we don't have to stay down in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just like actually very helpful for me anyway, that visualization. So yeah, and I actually randomly was talking to a friend recently who was like, oh, you know, I I realized I needed to reconnect with my inner child. And as she said that, I got really sort of teary-eyed. And I was like, oh, I, I actively did that when I started acting again you know, emotional preparation for Meisner, you you like do a lot of sort of visualization of different types of experiences and moments where you have different feelings. And so there was stuff there that I did around like little four-year-old Chessie, right? Like that was my nickname as a kid. (laughs) I found it really helpful to connect to that playful, vulnerable part of myself. And when she said that to me, I realized So when COVID hit, my stepfather had actually died three months before COVID hit, (laughs) which was really devastating. Um, And then COVID hit, and I right before, (laughs) on March 9th of 2020, which is my husband's and my anniversary, we'd gone out for lunch, we'd gone to a movie, and I had told my agent and my manager, I'd signed with a new manager who was already getting me auditions like twice a week. I was so excited. I wasn't pregnant. I wasn't breastfeeding. I was like, all right. 2020 is my year. I'm going to go all in on acting. I am ready. <laughs> on March 9th, I said this. So oh. ha 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 life. And then as COVID, like as it became clear that we were not going to get a handle on it and it was not going to get better anytime in the near future, I started to think about my daughter and our family, all of our families on the East Coast. And I was really worried that they weren't all going to make it through COVID. My grandfather actually died, not from COVID, but uh, he died that summer before we got back here. And so, you know, I felt we'd always sort of thought we would come back to the East Coast, but I felt like we needed to do it sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. But I, I realized in talking to my friend about the inner child the other day, I think in making that decision, I kind of just shut the door on my inner child and I haven't mm-hmm. looked at her since. And so when my friend brought that up, I was like, oh, right. That like playful, vulnerable human part of me is just, she's been hibernating. So I'm excited to, you know, we're planning to move down near New York City this year. I'm really looking forward to like reconnecting with her a little bit and and giving this acting thing another shot you know in a a new place but it's a little scary but I'm excited that is yeah that's great just took it just took a pandemic to go shift 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 yeah why not yeah it's fine it's fine I did start practicing again so that was one good thing you know when COVID hit I was like uh I'm a doctor with a MPH this isn't the time for me to be acting right (laughs) I need to be Mm -hmm. helping feel that guilt (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Need oh, to it help. was big. To help. Big guilt. Yes. My job to save the world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I tried and that's fine. I, I've started practicing again, which is good. And I'm hoping that like, I was thinking about it, you know, so if medicine was the first act and moving to LA to act was the second act, this is either like an intermission or a third act to like transition into the fourth act. <laughs> Nice. (laughs) Which is where I'm actually able to like do all of it, I'm hoping. Practice medicine, write, teach, you know, and also act. And I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be possible, but that's my hope is that I can find a way to do do all the things. And mom. I have to mom too. And mom. (laughs) Do you find with your perfectionism that most doctors I know have, because that's what keeps patients alive. Right. How do you 
feel because you know when we're when you were just chatting there, so much about your life in medicine is so different from the acting part, right? Like, yeah. oh, here was my box of medicine, but I needed that box of acting to get out of that box of mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you found that you were able to bring in from your medical career that was an advantage for you in acting? Yeah, I mean, I think. As a family doctor, I had training in like psychosocial medicine. So I had some like psychology, psycho and um, psychoanalysis type of training. And so I definitely, like you said, right? Like I'm very good at reading other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm good at I- identifying them and and you know, <laughs> I don't know what the right way is to say it. Like, I'll have a reaction whether or not I allow myself to show the reaction. So I think that, like, the ability to connect and also as a doctor being a very good listener, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. so those were things that I think were helpful. Um, Like I said, every acting class I took, maybe not everyone, but many of them would get into these intense conversations about feelings and mental health. And there's so much overlap between those things. And so Mm -hmm. I was often, (laughs) I was often sort of like the mother hen that was sort of either initiating or helping to sort of move the conversation along, not necessarily leading it every time, but just like having that background definitely gave me a lot of insight to share with all the people who are half my age who are in this industry and trying to navigate what can be just, it's hard. It is really hard. And I think also it's the, not only your career, but your life experiences for sure, right? You've lived a life that no, like I've said this 50 times in this podcast, no offense to these people who are fresh out of theater school. I mean, like I keep saying, I'm a little jealous of them, (laughs) but you know, you've lived a life and had life experiences, mm-hmm. very, you've had trauma. I remember being in an acting class and feeling selfish for pulling some of the grief that I felt from when my mom passed away and being like, Ooh, I'm using that to further my mm-hmm. acting career. And I remember my teacher being like, no, that is your story. That's your life, right? That's part. And same with you, right? Of course, you're mm-hmm. going to mother hen these people because you've lived this and you yeah. want them to be like, either one, do what I did or don't do what I right. did. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think being a little bit older, um, I have, I mean, I will say being pregnant in LA pursuing acting was really hard. I, I was, it was the plan. I was on board with it. It was what I wanted. I did not expect, I didn't anticipate how hard it was going to be to see my body transform in ways that Mm. I had no expectation or control over. And to do that in like an image based in while starting in an image based industry in a very image oriented town was really, really hard. But with that being said, I went there knowing that like, that's what it was going to be. And I had more, I think just a little bit more comfort with, okay, I am who I am. I'm not saying it didn't sting sometimes. I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but like, you know, at this point, I'm a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. I'm a lot more comfortable in my skin than I was 10 or 15 years ago. And that reads when you go into an audition, you know, they, they want people who are comfortable with who they are because Mm -hmm. that's who they're casting. And so if you come in looking one way and you know, they cast you another way and you can't make peace with that, that's going to make it hard for you to move forward and be successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there was some, some help on that end as well. Absolutely. And especially in an industry where we, as women are not allowed to age uh, in North America, in North, Amer- North America, right? In mm-hmm. the UK, you can, but yeah. And was that a big surprise? Was that pretty LA focused? Did you do you think? Like, or did you notice that when you were doing your stage work um, before you moved? Well, it's hard. It's you know, it's apples and oranges, right? I was in a tiny market doing amateur, amateur theater and amateur, you know, student films. One of my favorite resources, other than Audrey, is Bonnie Gillespie. Have you read her stuff or looked at okay, her stuff? Okay, why is, why is that name triggering in my brain? 
She does self-management for actors. That's her. Maybe. Book, yeah, okay. Her yeah. 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 Oh, if you have never read her book, you must read her book and you definitely should check out her stuff. She's gotten a lot more into astrology lately. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think for some people that's a great fit for other people. It's not, but she's a casting director who has been in the industry for, I think like 20 years at this point. And she really writes to like self I mean, it's self-management for actors, right? It's all about like you taking charge of your acting career. And part of that is knowing what your brand is and doing the work to figure out what your brand is and making Mm -hmm. peace with your brand. She talks a ton about actor mindset and like mental health and enoughness. Um, But then also about how to get all your tools together, you know, researching agents and casting directors and managers so that you're finding the people that you're going to be, that they're going to be excited to have you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Her yeah. stuff is just as a, as a person who like had no idea how the industry works. I found her book, and then I did her like get in gear for the next tier program. I found those super helpful, and she talks about the difference between like a minor market and a major market. And basically, in a minor market, you know, you can play anything because <laughs> there's not that many people. Mm-hmm. I played, I played like you know, uh, like this old woman who went around and like killed this guy. Right. I played the wicked witch of the West on stage, which was like one of my all time favorite roles that I have, have done or ever will do. You know, I play, I was in skin of our teeth and I played the, like, I think she's like eight, like this eight year old girl. (laughs) So like the breadth of what you get to do in a minor market is just so much bigger. When you get to a major market, the major market of LA, you need to like get so laser focused on what your brand is. And Audrey talks about that too. Mm-hmm. And it was weird for me because before having a child, I sort of passed for being in like my high 20s, maybe early 30s. But that was actually kind of hard because there are a lot of women who mm-hmm. sort of look like me who are in that age group and who have a ton more acting experience than I have, right? And so I can do some of the like lower tier stuff because a lot of those women have already moved up. They've done the lower tier. They've moved ahead in their acting career. But it it was, I was sort of, it, it was just kind of a weird space because of how I looked versus like who I actually was. Now that I've had a kid, Having a kid ages you a little bit, you like it or not. And I'm actually, I'm going to tell you this because this isn't airing for like another three or four months, right? Correct. So I'm, I'm pregnant with my second child right now. <laughs> um, are we, wait, hold on, medical training coming in. Are we excited about this? We are, yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have told you. I wouldn't have told you if I wasn't. <laughs> I just remember learning that in medical school. It's like yes, always ask right. if they're happy about it first before you say congratulations. Definitely. <laughs> congratulations. Yes. Thank you. But it's still, you know, it's still hard. But part of what I said to my, I mean, it's just hard for me when my body does yeah. this. But I did say to my husband, I was like, I want, if I could, I wanted to do it this year. So that like we move and I'm not pregnant or maybe I'm only a little pregnant for a little bit. And then like the breastfeeding thing was the whole thing. And so like hoping that after like that first year of being in our new place, I can start going again because, Mm -hmm. you know, it does kind of blow up your life a little bit having a kid. Um, I I liked to convince myself that it wouldn't, but it it totally does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it will be different in New York from L.A., um, but L.A. definitely is, you know, the Super Bowl of acting. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a pregnant woman, then that's what you're doing. You're being a pregnant woman. And that's your role. Mm. That is. Mm -hmm. And and my big break uh, in L.A. was that I uh, I booked a compression sock commercial when I was 38 weeks pregnant. (laughs) Fantastic. I am I am still non-union and it was a non-union commercial, but that commercial gets aired in like every hospital. It gets aired at like two o'clock in the morning. So it is the thing I have gotten the most like messages. People are like, oh, I saw your commercial. That is fantastic. Yeah. It was fun though. It was a lot of fun. I remember uh, I posted on my Instagram about it because like, you know, they had all the different clothes for me and everything. And then I, the, the thing that got me was <laughs> I was sweating because, you know, you're under the lights and I was nervous or whatever. And they had pregnant. somebody who came over. Right. Exactly. 38 weeks pregnant. Yeah. I had somebody come over 
with a hairdryer blow drying my armpits. <laughs> and I was like, I have made it. The best I have <laughs> made it. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of like fanning Cleopatra. <laughs> it's amazing. I was like, you don't have to do that. He's like, no, no, it's fine. This is my job. Because you can't have sweat stains on camera. Like, no. okay. That's Go amazing. for it. Thank you. <laughs> that is fantastic. It was. It was great. <laughs> Um, is there anything that's really, well, besides the news you just gave, but is there anything that's getting you excited for the, for the year to come? We, so I'm in, I'm in Toronto, probably very similar market to New York in the fact Mm. that you're competing against the most beautiful people in the world, Los Angeles, who Mm. it's beautiful and sunny all the time and everyone's sun (sighs) goddess and we're like minus 30 and cold and gray and I'm just pasty. Anyways, how can we compete against these people? (laughs) I think that's what New York is probably kind of like, but is (laughs) is there anything that you're getting excited about for the, for, for the year 2022, which will be your year? Screw you, 2020. Thank you. you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so 2022, yeah, the weather here has also been terrible. I'm in Ithaca, Ithaca, New York. It is known to be cold and snowy anywhere from October to May, basically. Um, Yeah, it was five degrees this morning when I took my daughter to daycare. I was like, oh, what is that in normal human speak? Uh, minus yeah. something. Yeah. No, so I, think, I think it's like minus 20 or something like that. Like that's, yeah. that's really cold. Mm, you're asking me a hard question that I don't I know, know the answer to. It's but, okay. Uh, it's, cold. it's cold here too. <laughs> it was cold. It was really unpleasant. So about a week or so ago, it was snowing. It's been snowing all month. And, you know, last year we moved back here and we got a three foot dump of snow all at one time. Uh, I think that's around a meter, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Thank you. The one Um, thing we understand in in the rest of the world is is height and weight being feet and inches and pounds. Like if you ask me what my weight is in kilos or my height is in meters, I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Anyways, Um, yes, a meter. That's a lot of snow. It was a lot of snow. But like we just come from LA and so and it was all at once. And there were a couple other big snows, but it didn't feel like it was snowing all the time. This winter, it's been snowing a lot, like frequently. Mm-hmm. And, and I just have been longing for Los Angeles. And so about a week, well, now two weeks ago, I texted my husband and I was like, we need to go somewhere sunny or I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Between COVID and being pregnant and being in the Northeast, we haven't really been seeing very many people. We haven't been doing very many things. The things that we love to do together were go to movies, go out to dinner, have people over. <laughs> we like to entertain. Yeah. So so we bought tickets to Puerto Rico and we're going in a couple of weeks and I am extremely excited. <laughs> oh. That'll be amazing. Yeah, And like, we're going to well buckle deserved. down before we go. So we don't get COVID before we go. And we'll do N95s on the plane. And they do a lot of mm-hmm. masking there. You know, we're still going to do our best to be safe with everything. Because, yeah. you know, we're doctors and I'm pregnant. Yeah, But like mental health sometimes has to play an important role. And, and we are very yeah. privileged and fortunate that we are able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of our baby moon too, because, you know, we're not we're not taking her with us. She's going to stay here and we're going to go. Just have some time. Yeah, you yeah. and your spouse. Yeah. 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 It sounds like you have a really wonderful support system. Yeah. Which is I, just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I think... For some of my family, it's been hard, especially having me move far away was hard. But mm. but they've they've all understood it for sure and and been supportive of it. My husband has been awesome. He has been, and I get tired of saying that because everyone's like, "Oh, your husband's so amazing." But like, we work really hard on our marriage, you know, and and we have yeah. a lot of conversations. And when I got pregnant um, the first time. I sort of said to him, I was like, I'm really nervous that this is going to mean that anytime our child is sick, I'm the one that's going to have to stay home because I'm acting and it's not as important as doctoring. And that was part of why we had our daughter in daycare because I was like, even though I wasn't making money as an actor, you know, I was going to classes, I was getting auditions and like, that's what it is for those first years. And, you know, if I had to stay home with her, which I did sometimes, um, but if I'd had to do it all the time, it would have 
just been a lot harder. And, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't have kids, <laughs> which was what I realized when I went to LA. It's like, oh, they have dogs. They have dogs instead of children because right. children mess everything up <laughs> in the most wonderful way, <laughs> but they do mess everything up. <laughs> but no, I mean, there was one audition that I had and actually, I think it was a callback. And so I was really excited about it. And our daughter had to stay home because she was sick. And my husband, like we talked about it, and he was able, he's a hospitalist. So for anybody who doesn't know, that means he works in the hospital only. He doesn't have clinic patients. And it means that like he has to round and see all the patients in the morning. And then he has to be around for the rest of the day for things that come up. And most of the time he's sitting at a computer in the afternoon, putting in orders, looking at imaging, whatever. Um, but so there's a little flexibility after he's seen his patients. And so he actually came home for like an hour in the middle of the day and he watched her so that I could go to my audition. And, awesome. you know, it was great. And also, like, if the roles were switched, I, I think I would do the same for him. But, yeah, I mean, that was important to me and a partner to have someone that, like, was going to really be equal on, the, on mm-hmm. these things. I love what you just said, though. That's that really ties into, yeah. There is that weird mindset, right? I think everything in acting is so high stakes for the way you're supposed to act in the scene, right? You're supposed to bring in the stakes, the higher the stakes, the higher the stakes. But it's not real life. It's not that high stakes when it's compared to what we do for a living in our doctor jobs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's this weird disconnect between doctor. Mm-hmm. actor is not as important. Right. And I think that brings in, I know, some some guilt for me as well, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, my husband is a ICU doctor. Mm-hmm. But I love what you just said about if the roles were reversed, right? Like, if he was the one pursuing acting and I was the one doing the doctoring still, which I still am simultaneously doing it, uh-huh. 100% there would be the support there. Yeah. I'm rambling, but I just, I love what you just <laughs> said there. I love yeah. what you just said. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also interesting. I don't know if this is true for you, but one of the questions you had sort of sent me ahead of time was one of, what was the biggest surprise about acting? One of the things that I was surprised about when I started really looking at acting as like a professional option is that A, you need to make yourself extremely available and B, you cannot cancel once you've booked something, right? Yeah. Like because there is no if then to acting, there is no, if you do this, then you get that. Your reputation is one of the most important things you have and the relationships that you have. At least this is what I've heard and how it seems to me. And so like, Mm -hmm. if I don't have my act together, haha, but like, if I don't have my shit together, right. And I, and I say I'm available for something and then either I'm wrong and I'm working that day or, and this is where for me as a parent, I get freaked out. My kid is sick. And I don't have someone mm-hmm. to take care of her. Yeah. That's, that feels like it's a really big problem. And while that's true in medicine too, right? Like I remember my friends in residency who would like go to work with an IV, like give themselves a liter of fluid because they were so oh, sick yeah. and they didn't think that mm-hmm. they could go home. And yeah. COVID has certainly like just pulled the, the sheet back on all of that. But in some ways, I'm a little more comfortable saying, oh, I can't come in today to see my patients, as long as like there's not going to be a life or death thing there, than I would be to say, oh, I can't come in for this thing that I've booked, right? Mm. <laughs> Which is crazy on the one hand, because it's like, it is life or death versus not. But it's just what the importance is of that one day is totally different. Because if that one day was your first whatever and you can't be there, that sucks. <laughs> and like yeah. it could really harm you. So yeah, that you was, can't reschedule. Yeah. I think people can be understanding of having kids and I'd like to think that that is starting to shift in the industry. But it's still kind of that's still a thing that I don't see as much about, right? Like, that's still a thing that I don't think there's as much discussion around. And even just when you look at the stories that are being told, like the lost daughter, I'm going to do a spoiler. (laughs) But there's this moment where, you know, Olivia Coleman confesses, quote unquote, that she left her children for a couple years. And this other character asks her what it was like. And as she said it, I said it. Amazing. 
Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> There's no question in my mind that it could have been difficult and also completely amazing. Yeah. Um, but I think like those kinds of stories of like parenting and motherhood and being a whole complete human being after you have a child, especially as a woman, those are just starting to come out. There's only a few yeah. shows and movies that I've seen that really try to take that on. And mm-hmm. I think to some extent in the industry, I mean, I'm still so low down on a totem pole that I have a lot of concern about that, right? Like, I don't want right. to assume that if my kid has to stay home, I'll just bring her on set with me and it'll be fine. <laughs> like, right. Or they'll, they'll rearrange it. It's okay. Oh, totally. We'll it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not a big deal at all. I'm not costing them thousands of dollars, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. it's an interesting... It, yeah, so there, there's stuff there with the entertainment industry that I'm still trying to understand and that I think is is still, I don't know how much it's shifting, but I think it's shifting a little bit. And whereas with medicine, especially family medicine, right? Like there's much more awareness and acceptance and understanding that like, yeah, this is part of what happens. Yeah. Breastfeeding is another place. I'll just put one last thing out there about that. Yeah. I, uh, so I did some background work, which was super fun. And like, mm-hmm. I got to, you know, it was just, I got to see some of my favorite actors and like be, you know, in a scene with them. So I did this, I did this one sitcom and I was, I needed to pump and I like run up to the PA who's, you know, 18 and I'm like, so, <laughs> so I'm breastfeeding and I need to go pump. I need to go like take care of that. <laughs> and they're just kind of like, uh, okay, that should be fine. I run out to the parking garage and I like plug my little pump in and I'm just sitting there like, okay, here I go for half an hour pumping in this random parking garage. And I'm kind of sitting there. And then this like guy walks up to the car <laughs> and he's like knocking on the window, trying to talk to me. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> And he's like asking me some question. And I just was like, I don't know. I don't know. Go away. You know, it's just like, I can't stop every however many hours to pump when I'm doing background, right? Like, I'm not important enough on background to be like, excuse me, I need a break. Whereas in medicine, yeah, whereas in medicine, Mm -hmm. now granted, I'm more important in medicine as, you know, than I am (laughs) as a background actor. It's built in. I have that protection. Of course, I can have yeah. the time to go and do that if it's something I need. So yeah, it's it's been very interesting just like being part of and, and exploring these two completely different worlds and then adding like new motherhood into that as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. New motherhood, new city. Right. Right. New yeah. new job. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and in a city that... Like you were saying, everyone has dogs. No one has babies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm so excited for you to, um, well, this is going to, this sounds so patronizing what's coming out of my mouth. I'm so excited for you to get back into acting. Uh, I did not mean for that to be so patronizing, but no, that's really, that's really cool. I remember when I, again, God bless my dad, when I was kind of feeling pretty burnt out during peak COVID times. Oh, yeah. And was ranting to my dad about the state of the world and state of medicine and blah, blah, blah. And the, he yeah. goes, oh, you're not journaling anymore, are you? You're not writing stuff down. And I was like, mm. oh, you're right. Yeah. Because I thought I need to be doing the doctor thing right now and everything else is secondary. Yeah. But then that harms the doctor thing. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I felt like when, when the year before I moved to LA, I was practicing medicine three days a week doing student health, which is I'm doing student health part time now. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, I was doing a ton of other acting stuff. Um, and I was so much happier as a doctor, because I wasn't completely buried in medicine. And I actually was doing something else that was that was just for me. Because it, it, I loved it, right? And so mm-hmm. I, that was really informative too. And I, I've really gotten into a, like, I am big on the self-care bandwagon at this point. And for physicians especially, I mean, for, for healthcare providers, right? Like, yeah, 
across the spectrum in healthcare, that self-care thing. A lot of us weren't doing it this past two years and now we're seeing the fallout of it now. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. fine when my therapists have been like so tell me what comes up when you when we talk about acting I just start like sobbing so like okay this is the thing I need to get back to and now that like I've been practicing again and I also am doing some public health stuff and I'm writing I did this Harvard Media and Medicine program which was really cool and would totally might be something you'd want to check out as well um so like you know I'm 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 trying to find my way to like have all these, this balance, right. Of all these different things that I love doing. And I think there is some truth in like, if you want to be Jennifer Lawrence, you probably do need to have both feet in one bucket. That's not the only way that you can be an actor. And depending Mm -hmm. what your interest is, and depending on what feeds you, you can still be an actor who makes money and gets on TV or film and, and has a rewarding career as an actor. And you may not be that person that the paparazzi is watching outside, but that might actually be good, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. also be able to do other things if that's what works for you. This is what I'm telling myself. So I'm hoping that it's true. (laughs) I think that's 100% true, right? It's changing. It's changing your mindset, right? I mean, into what like and, and goal setting and finding what what serves you and going down yeah. those lanes yeah. and and focusing on that as opposed to just kind of pick, 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 pick from all over the place. It's streamlining. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Is there anything else you want to add words of wisdom? This has been like an hour of words of wisdom. Holy <laughs> crow. Oh boy. I'm trying to think if there was anything else I as I was thinking about this. <laughs> no, boy, I better be really wise now. Uh, <laughs> right? Give me the wisest words of wisdom you have. Pregnancy is a time where I think women are often kind of invisible, which is funny because they're so visible, right? I was told when I was pregnant in LA that, and I was I was taking a class in comedy, and I was told, well, when you're pregnant you can be as sexy as you want. And it's funny because pregnant women aren't sexy. I was like, ah, ouch. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of true, right? Like when you think about the way pregnancy is portrayed, like it's never portrayed as sexy. And I, and I've talked to my husband recently about like, when I, when I personally am pregnant, I, it's this really weird experience where I just feel very disconnected from what's happening physically to like what I'm used to in my brain. And I, I realized some of it is feeling kind of powerless. And I, Mm. I, in thinking about that and like what makes me feel powerful, I realized acting was a space, particularly being on stage where I just, God, right. Like it's, it's powerful, but in like the best way, like, you know, you're, you're there and you're there because you want to be. And all eyes are on you and you get to to you get to be a different person you get to have all these feelings you get to move people you get to help people right like if anything that the pandemic has shown it's the importance of <laughs> of art for survival i mean i just um yeah i i think that acting is a thing that can be very empowering and very powerful Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Second Act Actors, and thank you, Francesca, for being my guest this week. Everyone, check out her blog, A Human Doctor. She's an incredible writer, and she writes more in depth about all the issues and all the things we were discussing in this episode. Also, I have a little favor to ask of everybody. If you could write a comment, like, and subscribe this podcast. What it does is I have found out there's an algorithm What this does to help feed the algorithm monster is it helps other people find this podcast if there's more likes and subscribes and comments. That would be really helpful because it helps get the word out, helps help 
other actors, helps other second act actors. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you again to Francesca, and I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume, additional sound editing by David Studio, additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer, show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!